0: all right here we go this is didactic mind episode 85 going galt a very warm welcome to all my very patient long-time listeners very warm welcome to my readers this is the first podcast in oh quite a while actually it's been uh what three four weeks uh yeah uh about a month actually it's been a close to a month since uh, the last podcast and with good reason. I mean basically for two of those weeks I was out on vacation uh last week, well last this Sunday, you know, two days ago. I was down with a cold. So uh if you're wondering about the sound quality by the way, I know that there's a bit of a background hum noise. Uh there's a reason for this, unfortunately. So I have always recorded my podcasts on my uh Bose wired headphones, which are very, very, very good because, you know, boasts quality. Um, But I've had those headphones for many years. And over the holiday that I had, for some reason the microphone packed up and uh, now the right uh, earpiece has packed it in as well. So what I'm using right now are just a simple cheap set of uh, Chinese earbuds. Uh, I chose them basically because they looked reasonably comfortable and they actually are but the sound quality does not seem to be the best for audio recording so what i will probably do is get myself a proper set of sennheiser um, or sony actual headphones and they'll be a bit more expensive but hopefully they will actually sound decent so if you hear a bit of a background hum or buzz i mean i'm sorry that's just it's the best i can do right now with what i've got because the sound that you're hearing is really coming from, um, the, the microphone input itself. I've turned the gain down as much as I can and run noise reduction in Audacity. And you're probably still hearing a bit of an irritating kind of hum. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, we'll do our best to carry on. And, uh, all I can say is I'm glad the podcast is back. Before I get going any further, and if you are annoyed by the sound quality, remember that I am an affiliate for a number of products and services, including Surfshark. Now, if you want to hide your anonymity while, or preserve your anonymity and hide your identity while surfing online, then you absolutely need a VPN product. You absolutely need to be using something like Surfshark. As far as I'm concerned, Surfshark has the best value in the industry. I've used a couple of other different VPN products, and the only ones that can really compete on NordVPN and uh, ProtonVPN, I think is the Swiss version, with Surfshark in terms of range of VPN servers worldwide and quality of the overall product. And indeed, Surfshark is actually better than NordVPN. In terms of number of devices that you can use, NordVPN is restricted to six devices. Surfshark is infinitely many devices, so you can install Surfshark on any client you want, whether it's Linux, uh, whether it's Windows, macOS, uh, on any of your Android or iOS devices. You can even, if you're smart enough, you can even figure out how to install it on your Wi-Fi router and have the have your IP address masked at all times and just to give you an idea of how powerful that is in terms of functionality and usefulness let me show you what happens when I decide to change my IP address so right now I'm going to change my IP address from whatever it is currently to something that sits in another country and it takes a matter of seconds and if I want to trace my IP I just go to whatsmyip.com that's all You know what's my IP is just one word and hit trace IP and according to this I am currently in the United States in California actually in Los Angeles and I'll give you my exact coordinates latitude is 34.0549 longitude is minus 118.2578 if you actually go look up those coordinates you're gonna find in a very big hurry that that's in the middle of the city on on a highway somewhere. Um, Suffice to say, that's not where I actually am. Now you begin to understand the power of a VPN. It allows you to browse the web, which is very important these days, in relative anonymity. Now a VPN is not foolproof. Just because you have a VPN does not mean you are completely anonymized and nameless and faceless. If you happen to use a VPN client on your mobile phone for instance your browsing and your IP address will be masked, but that doesn't mean you cannot be located based on cell tower triangulation. So it is not to say that a VPN solves all of your problems of anonymity and safe web browsing but it does solve a lot of them. If you're interested in getting your hands on a VPN make sure you go to Surfshark, the affiliate link is right there in the description box on both Podbean and on my site and you'll be able to get your VPN connection for a massive, massive discount. At the moment Surfshark is running a huge discount on VPNs and with very good reason. The uh, the prices of VPNs have been dropping dramatically for uh, the last uh, few years, and it's now more affordable ev- than ever. I mean, right now you're running at about an 80% discount for Surfshark. Compared to all the other VPNs, it's got the best value for money. If you look at uh, you know, Surfshark versus ExpressVPN or NordVPN or CyberGhost or any of the others, It is much cheaper and much more effective than most of the competitors except for Nord. And in all honesty, I think it's the best value for money out there. So check it out. Right, that's the blatant cash grab out of the way. Uh, The reason I wanted to get on the podcast today is because we have seen so much develop over the last few weeks and months and it's worth taking the time to comment upon it. Uh, Today, I want to discuss this phenomenon of going Galt, which is the entire focus of of this podcast. Now, most of you will be familiar with the term. John Galt, G-A-L-T, is a very, very famous figure in American literature and in global literature in English-speaking literature, I should say. Why? Because he is the focus of Ayn Rand's very famous doorstopper of a novel, Atlas Shrugged. Now. I have read Atlas Shrugged. I actually read it about more than nine years ago. So, Jeez, I'm getting old. <laughs> um, I read it on a family trip uh, way back in 2012. And this was around the time when some of Obama's really stupid, ridiculous policies had kicked in. Uh, I watched Obama Being inaugurated, well, I didn't watch him being inaugurated. I watched his victory speech and McCain's concession speech actually in the 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 bar of a hotel in Vancouver in 2008. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how I know, you know, exactly where I was, but it was some hotel. It was a nice hotel actually in Vancouver in 08, where I was visiting for a specific reason, and um, I remember thinking at the time, well okay, maybe this Obama guy ain't so bad, Uh, let's give him a shot. But I was deeply skeptical about whether he'd be able to deliver on anything he promised. Because this was around the time when the financial crisis had hit. And it's still not over, by the way. We're living through the aftermath, the wreckage of the global financial crisis. It has never abated. The problems that came up during the GFC have never been resolved to any level of satisfaction we are still going through a massive credit crisis to this day and we're about to enter phase two if if we haven't entered it already and that's really what spurred a lot of this on. So, back then, American voters were, I think, rightly deeply disturbed by the rapid collapse of many of the stalwarts of the American financial system. Lehman Brothers had gone bust two months before, well, less than two months actually, before the twenty before the two thousand eight election. Uh, earlier that year, Bear Stearns had gone bust. Around that same time, AIG had collapsed. Uh, a number of large American banks were on the verge of annihilation. Countrywide Financial had gone under. There was another one which I stopped. I forget exactly what it's called, but there was a whole series of big banks which very nearly knuckled under and, and, and collapsed at the time. The whole global financial system seemed to be in systemic shock, which it was. I mean, nobody wanted to lend to anyone else. Uh, it was an absolutely horrible time. I remember living through it because I was in that industry at the time and I watched it unfold. I mean, I was in the city where it happened. I worked in... An office not far away from some of the epicenters of this turbulence. The office where I worked at the time was not far away from what was back then Lehman Brothers Global Headquarters Um, and it was in within spitting distance as it happened of Barclays uh, Bank's US presence or maybe it wasn't Barclays at the time but it was it eventually became one of the Barclays Bank buildings so I I could see what was going on and it was very clear that indeed the American financial system had been disrupted to an unprecedented degree. And the thing is, policymakers were constantly reacting. They had no idea what to do. And Americans could see in front of their eyes that their own government had absolutely no idea what the hell was going on. It didn't matter whether it was Republicans or Democrats, neither side seemed to have the first notion of what the problem was and how to solve it. They couldn't keep up, things were developing too fast. If you have watched the movie, well, there, there are two movies you can watch. One is called The Big Short, and the other is called, um, ah, Bulls, I can't believe I, I forgotten on this one. Uh, ah, I cannot believe I forgot the name of the movie. It's the one with Zachary Quinto, Jeremy Irons, Kevin Spacey, Margin Call, that's it, Margin Call. Uh, I'm getting old, I'm telling you. I mean, I, I am so old I can't even remember these movie names. Um, no, it was. it's a great movie. Uh, Margin Call goes into the specifics of what happened with uh, securitized trading. And The Big Short takes a broader view of the overall economy. Now, the thing is, The Big Short, from a technician's perspective, from the perspective of somebody who lived through it, plays very loosey-goosey with uh, a lot of the technical details and it really does i mean there's no getting around that fact a lot of what you see in the big short didn't really happen quite the way it's portrayed and it really is severely dumbed down for a broader audience believe me when i say this i spent 10 years as a finance professional i have degrees in advanced quantitative modeling i'm not good at it but i can i I know what people are talking about when they talk about that stuff uh and i have a very deep knowledge of options pricing i mean legitimately deep knowledge of options pricing so i'm telling you as somebody who's lived in that world that what you see in the big short is like below the level of of quantitative finance 101 it's literally beyond dumbed down but it serves its purpose okay so if you watch that movie i think you're gonna enjoy it it's a lot of fun uh to to watch in hindsight and i think it rightly lays the blame for the financial crisis at the feet of the people who created it the regulators the policymakers, the uh ratings agencies are very culpable no question of that but it avoids naming exactly who was truly responsible and the person or the, the organization i should say truly responsible for what was the federal reserve aided and abetted and with the effects of its stupidity and criminal level of corruption amplified by the policies of the federal government under presidents as diverse as jimmy carter Ronald Reagan, believe it or not, you know, the the great Saint Reagan himself, for whom I, I mean, I yield to no one in my admiration for and respect for the Gipper. Saint Reagan of the right. I call him that without irony. But some of the things that he did in his time as president had serious repercussions many decades later. Uh, going through to Bill Clinton and of course George W. Bush, who Signed into law, uh, acts that made getting cheap and easy credit way too cheap and too easy. The result was a massive explosion of government interference during the, la- the 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 dying days of the Bush administration. Into this mix steps Barack Hussein Obama, the light worker, the the great saint of the left, selling a real package of snake oil. I mean, looking back, you know, with 13 years of hindsight, we can say this. There's no doubt in my mind that Obama was helped and uh, given a leg up in ways that we'll never fully understand. You don't go from being a no-name senator from Illinois to basically the President of the United States in, what, a decade? It just like The only other person that happened to was John F. Kennedy, and there's a good reason for that. John F. Kennedy had tremendous family connections and tremendous political clout. Now, unlike JFK, Barack Obama did not have a compelling and powerful uh, personal story, so he had kind of had to invent one. I mean, if you look at uh, Dreams From My Father, we now know that it was significantly ghostwritten by um, what was his name, was it Bill, uh, Bill Ayers? I forget exactly who it was, but it's very clear that much of that was written at a level that Obama himself could not have managed uh, at that time and certainly not uh, given his relative lack of accomplishment. So in steps Obama as the, this, this great black savior of, of the Democratic Party, uh, wheeling out, you know trotting out this amazing high flowing high-flown rhetoric and this wonderful touchy-feely hope and change vision of the future with actually very little by way of specifics. He had nothing really to offer. It wasn't he didn't have any kind of track record to make himself the equivalent of Ronald Reagan for the left. When Reagan came into office in 1980, he had 16 years between him and this, between that point and the speech in 1964, where he got up on the stage at the Republican National Convention in 64 and uh, October 27th, I think it was, and gave this incredible speech. It's a 30-minute-long speech. It's called the speech, or you know, a more formal name, the time, a time for choosing. It is one of the best speeches I've ever heard, and he packed an unbelievable amount of stuff into 30 minutes worth of speaking time. If you listen to him talk, he just goes through so many ideas so quickly and yet the speech sits in your head because he was such a gifted orator and he understood how to perfect his craft and he would spent years doing it. So along comes Obama, you know, very short on specifics, very long on rhetoric and he gives, uh, he's elected as president Ironically, because people are terrified of big government, which the government looks like is completely incompetent, has no idea what the hell it's doing, and has mismanaged the economy into the ground. So Obama comes in and immediately sets about instituting a massive program of big government change. Uh, the inevitable result being the 2010 midterm elections, in which... The Republicans sweep back into power with a, a massive wave election, which of course, you know, being Republicans on the back of the Tea Party movement, being Republicans, of course they squander it. They completely waste the opportunity and become yet again the Harlem Gro the, the Harlem Globetrotters or the Washington Generals. I mean whichever side you want to pick, I like it with. It's all pretend, it's all kabuki, it's all nonsense. They're basically uh, pretending to be the opposition. In reality, they're just the loyal opposition, they're the convenient opposition, the idiots in charge um, who really are there simply to serve the purposes of the unelected bureaucratic government that already exists, the shadow government, the deep state. We think that the deep state is a relatively new phenomenon. It's not. The deep state really took hold under Obama and this is the legacy of Obama that we're dealing with today. The corruption, the incompetence, the venality, the stupidity that you're seeing in the United States today is a direct consequence of what Obama was able to achieve over those eight years. This is why the left has become so dangerous and so antithetical to freedom, because they've been allowed to fester and preserve that overarching state apparatus, which has simply grown and expanded and multiplied under every presidency. No president since Calvin Coolidge has really tried to rein in the growth of government. Reagan tried, he flatlined the growth rate, but he didn't flatline he didn't, he didn't really shrink it. He flatlined the growth rate only in terms of government spending as a percentage of GDP. The actual size of government continued to expand under Reagan. So you really don't have a small government left anymore in the United States and we now have a permanently entrenched government class. So, based on all of this, you know, in 2012 I was looking at everything that had happened and I could see that things were very, very wrong in the United States. I could see that the government no longer served the people, that the government was doing things at every level, you know, uh, federal, state and local, that were directly antithetical to the interests of the people. That the people themselves could tell they were getting poorer, they were getting uh, less secure they were feeling less happy they were they were feeling less stable than ever in their jobs and this as well happened to be at a time of great personal turmoil in my life you know I'd i in 2009 I went through my first layoff in in August 2011 I went through my second layoff so by the time I got to that point in 2012 sort of March April of 2012 uh, I, I had been through a lot of instability and I was feeling it You know, I was worried And I was looking for answers, and I found some of them in this book called Atlas Shrugged. Now, I won't lie to you, Atlas Shrugged is a real snoozer, at least the last two-thirds of it. The book is divided into three parts. The first third is one of the greatest novels ever written, and I'm not exaggerating about that. If you just take the first one-third of that book by itself, it is an absolutely amazing book. The second third slows things down really badly and it's not fun to read. The last third is where all of the kind of philosophizing and, and um, navel-gazing really comes to play. I mean there's Galt's famous speech uh, which is like 63 pages long. I don't know how you make a speech last 63 pages. I really don't get it, but Ayn Rand figured out how to make it happen. Now, the main thrust of the book is that, as government grows and expands and stamps out free enterprise and uh, free expression, the makers and the doers and the innovators of the world simply give up. They leave. They they stop bothering anymore. They stop showing up. The phrase is, uh, who is John Galt, is like, it's an expression that basically says, well, don't ask stupid questions, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical answer, it's a, it's like, it's a rhetorical question that, that basically says, you know, how high is the sky, or how deep is the ocean, it's a, it's a, it's a nonsense answer to a question that cannot really be answered, and that's the point of the phrase, as you know. Look around you today and what you're seeing is indeed a phenomenon of going gold now I'm not saying that's 100% true and of course every time you have a criminally incompetent stupid venal corrupt idiotic uh, moronic in, uh, administration coming into power like you've got in the United States today with the fake president then you, you you keep hearing this phrase being trotted out and yet it's difficult to argue that it's not happening if you look around At the Trump economy and you look at what what the God Emperor or as we shall say around here it's very important to get this exactly right and it's been a while since I've done this so give me a minute it's gonna take some time you have to go through the full dross right you have to go through the full uh, the full thing the full spiel his most illustrious noble august benevolent and legendary celestial majesty the God Emperor of mankind Donaldus triumphus Magnus Astra The first of his name, the Lion of Midnight, may the Lord bless him and preserve him. That guy, if you look at what he managed in his first term in office, just one term, which, by the way, he never lost. Legitimately, he never lost that. And saying that will get you into a lot of trouble in fashionable circles in in most countries, but so be it. Fact is, he was cheated out of that election. And we now know that based on the results of the Maricopa County audit, not the recount. The audit. We now know that Trump's economy was many, many multiples better than Biden's. Again, it's not really Biden's economy. You have to understand that. It's not Biden isn't in charge. What you're seeing is government bureaucrats in charge of, of the levers of power, as they have always wanted to be, as they have always pretended to be. Now. If you look at petrol prices, uh, or as my American friends call it, gas. uh, It's not gas, mate. It's petrol. And if you're going to insist on calling it gas, then you've got a bit of a problem. I mean, I don't know how you can call a liquid gas. Okay? I get it. You're abbreviating gasoline. Why the hell wouldn't you just use petrol? I mean, that's what the rest of us use. Petrol is short for petroleum, right? Petrooleum. Uh, oil of the rock right if if that's good enough for us why isn't it good enough for you lot but uh, anyway uh, that's yet another windmill towards which uh, I, I cannot really tilt um, you know the, the not, not much point at any rate petrol prices under Trump petrol prices under supposedly Biden under the fake president petrol prices under the real president petrol prices under the fake president right Job reports under the real president, job reports under the fake president. Uh, Threats of war under the real president, threats of war under the fake president. On every conceivable measure, the fake president has fallen short, very far short. Why is that? Because the permanent class of government bureaucrats wants it that way. You have to understand that Americans don't vote for the government anymore and have not done for some time. Trump's election was a massive fluke and the God Emperor himself admits that. He admits that he... There's a, uh, there are many interviews now, I think, uh, or many versions of that clip out there right now where he says, well, because I thought I was going to lose. Um, he actually said that about the 2016 election. He thought he was going to lose. He figured he was going to lose and uh, he was basically preparing himself for the worst. But then there's that wonderful picture of him in victory, where he's just sitting there, he's like, he's like not bothered, and everybody around him is going absolutely berserk, they're celebrating, they're going, whoa, my God, how do we manage to pull this off? Trump's just sitting there with his, you know, his chin in his hand, and just like, eh, not bothered. That's how you know, by the way, that you're dealing with an ur-alpha male, because he literally didn't look like he was in the least bit bothered. The alpha attitude is act like you've been here before. Well, Trump has been there before. he's met with triumph and disaster and he's treated those two impostors just the same. which is why he is the god emperor. But the god emperor unfortunately failed at his most important task. why uh, well what was the task? to firstly the task was to destroy the deep state. He didn't do that. Why didn't he do that? because he spent almost his entire term buried up to the neck and sometimes beyond in manufactured scandals. We know that the Russian so-called dossier was a complete fabrication, it was fake. We know that the call to Ukraine over which he was first impeached was completely normal. There was nothing wrong with that call at all. Biden has actually done far, far worse and he's gotten away with it. he has actually threatened allies and uh, and dependents, if you will, uh, uh, vassal states. We might as well call them that because that's the Amer- America is an empire, whether it calls itself one or not, and it has a series of vassal states and allies. And one of the one of uh, Biden's vassals you know, wanted to secure funding for something, and uh, of course Biden. You know, said, if you don't do this, we're not going to give you the money. Well, Biden has actually done exactly what Trump was accused of doing. Uh, and he got away with it. That's the truth. That's the reality. There, there is no point in pretending that there's justice in the government anymore. and There hasn't been for a long time. If you look at the comparison between the two governments, though... The, the really striking thing, the really fascinating thing about it is the difference in language and tone between the administrators of various departments, under the God Emperor and under the fake president. When the God Emperor was in power, he had people like Jean Scalia, son of the late, great Justice Antonin Scalia, Supreme Court Justice. As his labor secretary, I mean that guy replaced, I think, what was his name, Alex Acosta, who was, I mean, a deep state swamp type of the the worst kind. You know, this is the same Alex Acosta who I think was involved in the whole uh, Jeffrey Epstein case, in which Epstein got this an amazing house arrest sweetheart deal, and he just, despite the horrible nature of his crimes, he never really served any hard time. Uh, whereas Gene Scalia was a sp- is a straight talking, honest, straightforward man who actually believes in public service as far as I can tell. Um, got that from his dad God rest his soul. If you compare that with what you got out of Dr. Peter Navarro uh, or like you know other people within the Trump administration uh, Steve uh, Steve what's his name Steve Steve Miller. Stephen Miller, uh, Kayleigh McEnany and various others who were heads of departments or advisors to the president or were involved in setting policy, there was a refreshing straightness to the way they spoke. There was an acknowledgement and an understanding that they were there as servants of the people to do a job for the American people. And they didn't Generally speaking, try to spin their way out of things. That's not 100% true, obviously, but there was a real cadre of outsiders trying to fight a guerrilla war against the deep state. Now they lost. They absolutely lost, and there's no question of that. Uh, the God Emperor and his forces lost. But compare what came out of their mouths with what came out of uh, Mayor Pete Buddha judge Uh, the, the gay mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who got promoted way above his level of competency, uh, to become transport secretary. There are ships right now sitting off the coast of California, or Comifornia, or clownipornia, as I call it, depending on my mood. I, I don't call it, I don't think of California as a state. In fact, if California were to simply disappear into the ocean tomorrow because of a massive earthquake, neither I nor millions of other Americans are not American, but millions of actual Americans would not weep, would, would certainly would not weep. Uh, if the same was to happen with New York, again, nobody would be particularly teary-eyed. These places are dens of corruption and villainy so great and so terrible that they can't even be considered part of America anymore. And uh, they're, they're not, they don't consider themselves part of America. So. There are container ships, uh, dozens, if not hundreds of them, sitting off the coast of California, waiting to unload their goods. Now, what is, why are they sitting off the coast of Clownipornia, waiting to offload their goods? Because Governor of Clownipornia, Gavin Nuisance, uh, has passed laws, or signed into, uh, signed into action laws which make it very difficult for them to offload their goods. And, because the federal government has made it nearly impossible to offload those goods, because of massive, massive screw-ups, particularly with respect to vaccine mandates and other things, other, other very idiotic, very poorly considered policies passed by the fake administration. Now, why are they doing this to the country? It's very simple. They don't feel the pain of it. The deep state doesn't feel this kind of pain. The deep state exists in washington dc and in other parts of the country as a permanent bureaucratic class it cannot be dislodged without violence at this point there is no way that an election is going to sweep it clean it's not going to happen it's festered there for too long the rot is so deep and so pervasive that it cannot be removed they don't care that you can't find goods on the shelves for your christmas they don't care if shelves are bare of basic necessities, such as milk, eggs, I don't consider bread a necessity, unless I'm feeding geese, but bread. Uh, they just don't care. They don't care that inflation is running officially at 5% per annum, and unofficially at probably close to 15% per annum. Indeed, if you actually go to John Williams' shadow, uh, shadow stats, shadow government statistics, and you look at, uh, yeah, shadowstats.com. You look at what's happening with uh, inflation. Inflation right now is running at, yeah, it's close to 14, 13, 14%, according to the SGS Alternative CPI Index. Understand that 15 12 to 15 percent rates of inflation are what you typically see in the third world okay that's how bad it is if you look at global inflation uh rates right now and you check out uh various consumer price indices there's the world bank cpi index for instance and if you look at well let's see let's let's take a look at russia because everybody loves bagging on russia russia's inflation rate right now is about 3.4 percent rwanda's is officially again this is world bank statistics rwanda's is 9.9 percent and this is uh this is the most recent year so this is 2020 basically so admittedly you know some of this data is quite stale but if you look at turkey okay official turkish inflation is in 2020 was 12.3 percent in the midst of a massive global depression, right? 12.3% inflation. In Turkey, no one in his right mind thinks that Turkey is a developed country because it's not. Uh, what else have we got? Angola, uh, that's 2019, 17% inflation, the latest, uh, data. So, again, this is official government statistics, but you can see the trend. The United States' actual inflation rate is running close to that of the dirt world. This is not an accident. This is deliberately designed government policy to enrich themselves and impoverish you. And remember what Pete Buttigieg, little Petey, said about uh, the supply chain crisis. This guy came off of uh, so-called paternity leave. Uh, He's been on paternity leave since August, apparently. And he went on national television to basically say... Everything's great. You know What you're actually seeing, the supply chain bottlenecks are actually because of massive pent-up demand coming in, into the open. People have more disposable income, the uh, incomes are up, uh, prices are going up, there's a lot of pent-up demand, people are back to work. You can actually see that this is the result of great economic policy and a great economic rebound. Hundreds of thousands of people must have watched him say that and had their jaws hit the floor because that's not reality what he's saying is 180 degrees opposed to what people are actually seeing on the ground they're not seeing things getting better they're they're seeing things getting worse unemployment is down to 4.8 percent yes why because hundreds of thousands of people have left the workforce why they're going gold They're basically saying, I can't tolerate this anymore. I can't tolerate a government that makes it so difficult to maintain law and order, that doesn't do anything to protect me from savages and criminals in the streets, that doesn't do anything to protect me from high taxation, that doesn't do anything to help me keep my business stable and secure, that enforces vaccine mandates, which by the way, they have no constitutional authority whatsoever to do that tries to make life as difficult as possible for me, that makes it impossible for me to provide for my family. They don't want any part of that. Not only that, but the government is paying people not to work, effectively. The government handouts that are out there right now are sufficient, or they were at least at one point, uh, and still are in large, uh, in large measure in the United States to prevent people from re-entering the labor force. I mean, Why would you want to go back to a relatively difficult job in the hospitality sector or the construction sector, where you're not making all that much money, when the government will pay you to sit on your butt at home? This is a major problem throughout the developed world, and it's one that the left keeps thinking can be solved by adding more government handouts. This simply tells you how economically illiterate and how functionally stupid they are, but you know, we know that already. I mean, there's nothing new about the economic illiteracy of the left. What strikes me as very interesting is the way in which little PT's message sounds exactly like what you hear coming out of, like, Wesley Mouch or any of the government bureaucrats in Atlas Shrugged. People are taking notice of this. So what are we going to do about it? I mean, i spent the first, you know, 40 minutes of this podcast ranting about how, they, how bad things are. But remember that didactic mind is all about solutions. It's all about getting things done. It's all about moving forward in the face of massive opposition. Well, the first thing to understand is, as I said in the past, there is no running. You can try to leave, and you can try to go gold. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that, actually. There is there's nothing particularly wrong with refusing to support or contribute towards a system that hates you and wants to oppress you Um, there is nothing wrong with doing everything within your power to walk away from that system and start on your own that's a good thing there is everything wrong morally with simply refusing to participate in the fight at all If you choose not to do anything, if you choose to give up, then that is in and of itself picking a side. But it's not on the side of the people who actually want to get things done. It's not on the side of people who actually want to fight for what is good, beautiful, and true. If you believe in being truly offensive, in the sense that I do as a Christian, and you believe in being truly forward-looking and fighting for the church militant, as I do, then you're going to have some hard choices. Not participating in and of itself is not a solution. You're not really helping anybody. Can you go gold? Well, yeah, sort of. You can basically refuse to engage with an economic system that wants you dead and destroyed. You can find ways of moving away from it, absolutely. I recommend that everybody start up his own side hustle, absolutely, I strongly believe in that. Um, I'm not saying I'm particularly successful, indeed I'm not, I, mean, I just haven't had the time and energy to devote to just building this one aspect of, of, of my own life up. And I'm very transparent about that, I mean, I run several websites but um, only didactic mind actually brings in anything like any kind of revenue at this point. I haven't posted on my uh, shaving website for months, I just haven't had the time to sit down and write something out. I had plans to start up another one or two different websites, uh, one of which would, would be devoted to strength and fitness training and I haven't done that. Right. You can accuse me of being a hypocrite and you'd be absolutely right, but the thing is, I admit my hypocrisy. I admit that I admit openly where I failed. What you have to do is set up your own side hustle and then really be committed to walking away from the current system. But you cannot just walk away and walk into a cabin in the woods. That's not how this works. It's not gonna, you're not gonna accomplish anything by doing this. What you actually need to do is start setting up a system designed to protect your chosen way of life. If you genuinely believe in the message of Jesus Christ, and you believe in what he said, and you believe in supporting and spreading that message, then you cannot simply abandon your fellow man. What you need to do now is find a way to establish your own churches for a start. The simplest way to do that in this economy, in this you know, uh, time of censorship and crisis is indeed to build your own platform. You have to do that. You have to build your own platforms for yourself. You can use free tools to get yourself started. Yeah, okay. And there's nothing particularly wrong with that, but just understand that In an environment in which big business and big government are basically one and the same, which they are right now, I mean, Google, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, all of these big tech companies are woven into the fabric of government very, very tightly, which is one of the reasons why the God Emperor could not get around to breaking up Google and Facebook uh, for the monopolies that they are, which they are. They have massive monopolistic control over data. And you have to actually study the power of data as a strategic weapon, as I have to understand how powerful that, that grasp is, how pervasive and how useful it is to people to have control over data like that. Once you do that study, you'll very quickly realize that having data at your disposal about anybody and anything gives you a strategic edge which most people cannot fight. So the first step to breaking free of these chains and indeed going gold in kind of an ethical way that makes sense, that is Christian, is to break free of big tech. You need to start doing that by reducing or eliminating your usage of Google and Facebook as much as possible. If you have a Facebook account, get off it. Just stop using it. Go cold turkey. I've done it and I'm much happier for it. Stop using Instagram to post selfies of yourself offer a workout if you're if you're doing that you're an idiot i mean you shouldn't be doing that in the first place um stop giving validation to insta thoughts through liking their photos there's nothing wrong with you know looking at them because they put themselves out there i mean they're most of them 99 percent of them are, are vapid idiots to begin with but they're doing that you know because they want to and that's that's their bloody problem uh you can enjoy the benefits of uh, a couple of lesbians across the I live in a strange area. Um, you can enjoy the benefits of the free service that they're providing, sure, uh, but you don't really want to be validating them in any way because they are not healthy for you. Uh, Insta thoughts are like fast food. Satisfies a quick need, not good for you in the long run. Okay, get off of Twitter. Twitter is basically, as Jeremy Clarkson put it not too long ago, Twitter is basically a a place where very left-wing people post left-wing things to the delight of other left-wing people. There's no point in staying on Twitter. Get off it. They hate you. Stop supporting them. Stop giving them your data. Stop giving them your attention for free. Just leave. Find the platforms that will support you and that will help you. Now, here's the thing to understand about the platform economy, which is what we're in right now. Platforms view you as a commodity, and they view it as critically important for you to get onto their platform and then lock you in. So, you never get away from their platform. That's exactly how a streaming platform works. That's exactly how uh, almost anything attached to a Google API works. And that's how you know they make it so easy to log in you just log in with your Google account and that's it you're you're there because they use the Google API to extract your data and make money off of you. the reality is that if you want anything decent you have to pay for it but you don't have to pay a lot you don't have to pay a fortune for building your own platform and I lay it out all for you in a post called uh, protect yourself from big tech it's right there on my site you can go look it up it will give you the basics But most importantly, you have to start forming connections in the real world. And this for a lot of you will be difficult, Uh, especially for my younger listeners and viewers. You need to start looking into forming your own networks on the ground with real people. If you don't do this, you will be at the mercy of an establishment that absolutely hates you and wants you destroyed. It is much easier for you to go galt in an ethical way when you have help to do it. Increasingly, I predict as these mandates and these ridiculously stupid policies become more onerous and more idiotic and more irritating, entrepreneurs will start leaving in droves. In Britain, it's already happening. The government there under a so-called conservative, Boris Johnson, uh, has mandated that all electrical cars so that all cars, excuse me, sold after 2030, will be electrical. Uh, they've also mandated that Britain will get m- like basically all of its power, or a significant chunk of its power from green energy uh, around that same time. None of these nitwits in the Tory party have sat down and actually computed the cost of all of this. I think uh, the green energy mandate might be 2050, I've forgotten. But uh, oh, also, Boris the floppy haired sheepadoodle doodle um, basically said as well quite recently that everyone will have to switch to these new green boilers which are very expensive, not particularly effective and don't work anywhere near as well as the old ones that they're replacing this is there's a, a great quote from Boris Johnson in an interview he did with Top Gear one of he's been on Top Gear a few times back when Jezza and company were still running things god I miss those days in which he said uh beneath this carefully constructed veneer of a blithering idiot uh what he actually said was there's you you must be aware that there's always this uh, the, the possibility that uh beneath this uh carefully, artfully constructed veneer of a blithering idiot, there does, in fact, lie, in fact, a blithering idiot. And I think we're all discovering now, indeed, he is a blithering idiot. Um, He has proven to be the most fecklessly inept and incompetent Prime Minister of Britain since, well, since his predecessor, Theresa May. Uh, She was actually even worse, astonishingly, which is saying something considering what a disaster he's been. So, at any rate, um, in the UK, entrepreneurs are already turning away and saying, we can't deal with this anymore, we can't do this, this isn't working for us, this this big government nanny state approach to going green and doing everything in uh, such an irrational manner is not for us, it's not going to work and we're not having any of it. They're already walking away. Britain is already losing talent because, not because of Brexit, I mean Brexit was a good idea, it was a good thing, but because its own government is proving to be a colossal enemy to its own people. But Britain has a serious problem. Britain is less than 20 percent Christian. Today, the fastest growing religion in Britain is Islam and that does not bode well for the future because the British do not have the sterner stuff that they need the moral backbone that they need to fight off the depredations of the great heresy. They can't do it. America has that strength, but it's being torn apart by internal strife, and by a deep state that wants to encourage this tearing apart. You have to understand, the reason why things are falling apart in the US is because the deep state wants them to fall apart. There's, there's Or rather, well, okay, I'll reel that back in a little bit. The deep state has no interest in keeping things together. Let's put it that way. It's not necessarily that it wants things to fall apart, but it just has no gets no benefit from keeping things together. You know? The deep state I think has made this has made a calculation that Americans will tolerate whatever nonsense and stupidity and insanity that is forced upon them by the government. And they've run through a series of tests over the last 30 years or so to test this proposition. Starting with 9-11, continuing with various pandemic or epidemic scares and various terrorist threats and various uh, destructions of liberty. The pandemic, or the scandemic as I call it, was one more brick in that wall a a really big one but it was one more brick in that wall whereby the government decided to lock down everything to shut down the economy to destroy personal freedoms and to see how much of that people were willing to take now trump the god emperor fought back against that valiantly but he's gone now he's out of the way and it's very unlikely he will go back into office because The election of 2020, which was stolen from Americans made it very clear that the deep state has a way to secure complete control over the electoral process. Which means that there is no way now for Americans to take back their government. It's not going to happen, not legitimately, cannot happen. There is no such thing as democracy in the US and there will not be any such thing as democracy in the coming days. So what do you do about it? You go gold, but you do it in a way that actually works. The way that Ayn Rand proposes in Atlas Shrugged isn't going to work. The The, the problem with Ayn Rand's entire philosophy is that it's a very atheistic, uh, Nietzschean, Ubermensch-type philosophy that says that the the best and the brightest will walk away and everyone else has to suffer as a result. And then when the suffering is You know, has been great enough, the best and the brightest will come back in, swoop in, save the day. It's a very elitist, very top-down approach to things. And while she hit upon a lot of good ideas, a lot of great ideas, actually, she got a lot of things wrong as well. The coming collapse of the United States will not be instigated by the best and the brightest. The best and the brightest are complicit in making that collapse happen The coming collapse will happen because the ordinary people simply get fed up and walk away or they get so angry that they take up arms and fight back. That's what happened in 2016 the ordinary man got really pissed off and reacted that's what's going to happen in 2024 but this time the ordinary man's vote will not count it won't matter how much they try The ordinary man's vote just won't count. There is no democracy left in the United States. The Democrats know exactly how to cheat the system. It's not going to make any difference. Who votes for what? But going galt means getting away from a government that hates you. That means minimizing or eliminating the amount of tax that you pay. It means moving away from high-tax jurisdictions to low-tax ones. It means, potentially as well, leaving the country. But, as I said, for most of us, really there is no running. Adam Piggott, our good friend, The Gentleman Adventurer, pointed out in a post uh, just the other day, uh, yesterday I read it in fact, where he wrote about how moving from one country to another and expecting to be welcomed in with open arms and, and kind of assimilated quickly, is a very peculiarly Western trait, and he's right. I have lived in three different Western countries in my life, Australia, the United States and the United Kingdom. In all three, if you're an immigrant from a non-English country, you can assimilate very quickly, if you choose to do so, and most people don't. But if you choose to do so, you can become you know, a business owner or a landowner very quickly. You're not going to get that privilege in Russia. I know I've been there as a foreigner, and not, not a white foreigner either. I know what it's like. You have to earn your place there, and the Russians are wonderful people, I love them very much, but they are not Americans. And if you go to any other non-white part of the world, and try to in- integrate and assimilate there, good luck. Because you're not going to be able to do it. You will always be that guy, you know, the 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 firong, the, the Faron, depending on which bit of Asia you end up in, that's what they're going to call you. If you go to Latin America, no matter how well you speak Spanish, you will still be considered the gringo. It just doesn't matter. You will always be the outsider. So understand that there is no running for most of you. Understand that you need to make plans for when things go really, really horribly wrong, which they will. And understand that walking away from the society that hates you cannot be the answer in and of itself. You have to create your own parallel society which is healthy and which is functional. And the only way to do that is by embracing the call of Jesus Christ, coming back to God, coming back to a church. You don't—it doesn't have to be the church. You know. I have very little respect for most um, so-called denominations. I think most of them have wandered very far away from the Word, indeed. But there's nothing wrong with forming a Bible study group of yourself and your best friends, and really getting to know the Scriptures. And really trying to understand the word. That's how you begin a revolution. And that's where it's going to start. Small scale, ordinary people getting together and fighting back by walking away from the system that hates them. And we're at, we're about at time. So I'm going to wrap it up now. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. First one in a month. And hopefully, uh, it won't, hopefully it was uh, uh, educational and edifying and uh, interesting for people to, to listen to and if not then please leave your comments and feedback and criticism in the comment section uh, either on podbean or on my site i'll be very pleased to to read what you had to say well uh, that's it for now i hope to come across uh, your patronage again in the near future please make sure you like comment share and subscribe Especially if you have not subscribed already, please make sure you do so so you never miss a new upload. And I will be back hopefully around this time next week as well uh, with another episode of Didactic Mind. But for now, many thanks. And this has been Didactic Mind episode 85, Going Golt. And this is Didact signing off.